Visible is a wireless carrier that is not invisible. It is pretty clear from the name, actually, radio waves are invisible. And I can say this with authority as a licensed amateur radio operator. That being said, Visible won't be giving you the power to see light outside the visible spectrum. It's actually way better because having that ability would make getting around very difficult and distracting. What you do get with Visible is unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. You get one line of wireless, just $25 a month, which is great in these times of economic uncertainty. That is one line for $25, taxes and fees included. So whatever you're doing at this moment, please stop. Switch immediately. Now, monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Wir gerne sehen in was ist los. It's dein Freundo Seth. I'm learning German. Yeah, in case you didn't know what that was. That is me trying to impress you with the little German that I know. Right now, I am actually learning German. I took it in high school. I goofed off the entire time. I did some other language learning apps. They taught me things like where the taxi stand is and how to find a bus, um, but not a lot of conversational uh German. Thankfully, that's what Babbel is all about. Babbel teaches you language conversationally, which let's face it, that is what you want to know anyway. I don't know. When I was in school, you learned like how to count. You learned like the colors. You learned the shapes. Those are all important things, but they don't help you when you're in uh, like Cologne, Germany with Ein Nierenstein, which by the way is German for kidney stone, uh, an experience I can unfortunately speak personally to. But I've been using Babbel to learn to speak German again, uh, better than I have before. I actually really like it because it is conversational. It's a little bit more relaxed. One of the things that it does that I really like is it'll sometimes show you what the literal English translation is. And I don't know why, but I find that very helpful in sort of understanding the structure, the grammar of a language and sort of putting myself into that mind space. Since I'm only in Germany for Gamescom, which is like a week, week and a half, I'm not immersed in the German language. I'm not immersed in German culture. So what I do is the second best thing. I'm taking Babbel. Hopefully this year when I go to Germany, I'll be able to impress all the Germans with how much German I know from learning through Babbel. The app has pronunciation recognition, so you'll be able to learn how to speak better with your accent, how to actually properly pronounce the words. That way you won't get made fun of by a, a group of older German men because you said Apfelstrudel and not Apfelstrudel. Um, no, it's really cool. Uh, I'm going to say right now there is a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now you can get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners because you guys are the best ones, by the way, at babbel.com slash realm. Get 60% off at babbel.com slash realm. That is spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash realm. Rules and restrictions may apply. We need your help, Star Fox. Welcome 
Welcome to Nintendo Voice Chat for the week of July 4th, 2014. I am your host, Jose Otero, and this is the latest, greatest, fantabulous Nintendo podcast brought to you by IGN in the year 20XX. My wingman this week, <laughs> <laughs> Per Schneider. <Whoa! laughs> I like which character are you referencing? Come on, Slippy. Oh, okay. thank God. I didn't want to be Slippy. There's okay. no way I'm being Slippy. <laughs> and then my other wingman this week. Brian Altano. Do a barrel roll. <laughs> we got to get it out now and just say these things because we are going to be talking about Star Fox at one point during the show. But... Press C or R twice. <laughs> <laughs> you can do a whole video of just all of that comedy from those games. It we never gets old. Damage. Uh, so that's some, just some of the most memorable voice acting in video game history. Oh, yeah. For, yeah. Good, for, better, for good reasons? For, for better or worse, yeah. yeah. I mean, just... Memorable. Your daddy screamed real nice when he died. My favorite is still uh, General Pepper and we need your help, Star Fox. Like, I love that line. Wow, you got the good, like, the yeah, tremor and the. That's quiet. I'm too quiet. <laughs> I told Pear that's going to be my ringtone. I'm going to do it. That's going to be what my phone does when the audio Fox! is on. <laughs> All right, Help me, Fox! Before we talk about Star Fox, let's talk about some news. So, <laughs> Nintendo President Satoru Iwata was re-elected. Uh, his approval rating actually went up. Uh, so, after the big shareholders meeting last week, uh, it was reported that his rating now sits at 80.64%. There you go. Uh, it was an increase from last year, 77.26. Uh, now, historically, we know for the past couple of years, since 2010, Iwata's approval rating has kind of dipped. Um, the board as a whole did not really make a lot of big changes, and he was reelected. So, yep. you know, and also we said last week, get well wishes out to him, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as we said, um, you know, it's, it's about vision too, right? Mm-hmm. It's uh, any company can have, uh, can have some challenges and, and you know, some n- negative numbers. Nintendo certainly has had ups and downs in the past, but I think if you if you you know if you hold firm on your vision, you don't <coughs> waver and you say we believe in the you know in, in the console market, we believe in the in the handheld business, and here's what we're doing to adjust to you know how things are changing out there. Then people are gonna um, you know give you the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I actually I actually get very disappointed in people when they say they call for his head mm-hmm. after a bad month or a bad year. Disappointing, Colin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, no, there, there, I mean, there are some people who, you know, Colin does feel of that. Colin Moriarty of IGN does feel that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have some people at IGN that feel that way. We've got a lot of people on Twitter and the IGN comments that feel that way. And I, you know, I, I think that you need to like let somebody kind of ride out the ups and downs. Like it's not. You can't just have somebody come in after a bad year, and that's it's really it's it's not the smart business way to do it, and it's specifically not the Nintendo way to do it. Like Nintendo does not flush employees all the time. You know, they kind of hold on to people for a long time to to build that sort of trust there and, mm-hmm. and let, let people into the the wheelhouse of their ideas and their culture, and that's incredibly important. Yeah, I think. And well, yeah. and I don't think chopping off the head would make a lot of changes for them in the short term. I yeah. mean, that's a long term plan for sure, but. I think that he's made enough uh, attempts. And that's true. People like to say, well, Nintendo only does what Nintendo wants to do. But I think there is some value in standing firm and not just following the trend of the bottom of the barrel pricing that gaming has hit. There, there are certain places where they can improve, no, for sure. Like, no one's saying that Nintendo is, uh, is without fault yeah. here. But at the same time, I feel like he, his, his vision is, is okay to me for the most part, for now. 
Yeah, I, I th- I, I'm happy when somebody takes a stance and doesn't just you know run after uh, the biggest stories as well, right? Like yeah. he, they're holding firm on mobile, and I respect that. You know, yeah. like I personally do think that they could pre- be producing product that would do amazingly well on mobile platforms without actually sacrificing what makes their consoles unique. They believe otherwise. They think you know you have For to now, have a least. walled garden with these franchises, and they <laughs> shall not exit. And um, but yeah, we'll we'll see how that shakes out. Sure, For sure. Yeah. All right, sure. so uh, then in other news, uh, Squid Odyssey uh, is the first cross-buy game for Nintendo 3DS Wii U. So this story comes from uh, our friends in Europe and in the UK, and apparently uh, this thing is getting sold for about 13 pounds on the 3DS eShop. And the trick to this whole promotion is, by the way, that you have to buy the 3DS version first in order to redeem it on Wii U. So if you bought it on Wii U first, you could not redeem it. By the way, this game, Squid Odyssey, was made by an independent developer, and uh, this was a special promotion sort of presented to them. Uh, the game itself is a unique mix of action strategy and RPG. Um, so, so not, a, not a true, not a policy change or true cross-buy mm-hmm. program. It's just a one-off offer, right? It's like as if you bought a game and you got a coupon for another one. Yeah, Pretty much. it's, it's yeah. yet another baby step in the long marathon of hopefulness. <laughs> oh, it's been a marathon, let me tell you. It'd be interesting to yeah. touch base with that developer and ask how many have been redeemed, actually. Mm-hmm. How many people does it apply to? Yeah. yeah. It's not going to be a huge seller. And, you know, we, and we've, we've seen stuff like that with uh, the PlayStation platforms where you get the Vita version if you buy the PS4 version but not the other way around and yeah, such. Yeah. Um, it, this, is, this, this stuff does happen on a case-by-case basis, even on PlayStation, where, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it is synonymous with, like, the PlayStation platform is cross-buy, but it's really not always like that. Sure. Some games, like, I know Minecraft's coming up. It doesn't work like that. PlayStation and, All-Stars, I don't think at first worked that way. If yeah. you bought the home console version, you had to pay for the Vita version separately. Yeah. At least yeah. at first. I don't know if that changed over time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I, I, Castlevania 3 just launched for the Wii U and the 3DS, That's and right. I did that thing where I was like, I want it. Where do I get it? Yeah. And I said neither, yeah. because I don't want to buy it on either until I can get it on both for the same price. Yeah. So, and this is an area that they have needed improvement. It's nice to see that indies are being given that opportunity. It's a shame that this didn't apply to Shovel Knight, which is fifteen bucks no matter where you buy it right now, or it's sixteen, fifteen ninety nine, or fourteen ninety nine. But uh, regardless, you know, the next step would be something first party, right? Something smaller. Some people think it should apply to Smash Brothers. I, I hate to disagree, but I think that Smash Brothers is just too unique, right? The two platform versions are different for the most part. It's still a fighting game, but I don't necessarily see them as the same exact game. Yeah, that's odd. I don't, I, don't, I don't see it that way at all, really. I, I really feel like they are very specifically different entries in the franchise. Like, they, I don't... Aside from characters, I mean, stages are different in yeah. each game. There's, uh, there's the single player modes are completely different in each game. Sure. Like, there's, I yeah, I don't know. I <laughs> and I honestly, honestly think if that's one where they can differentiate it enough to get people to double dip, they will. Because yeah. the, the what do you what do you think of that? I mean, I feel like economically, it's those two games were are very unique, right? They really needed to be developed by by different different people different teams and have different assets and so you know it it's would be too good to be true to get that for free from a consumer's perspective is awesome i agree at the same time like 
if you you could use something like that as an upsell, right? Like you only everybody only owns a 3DS. If you buy Smash Brothers, you are getting you know a limited version for free on the Wii U. Just like maybe use that to kind of nudge people into buying the console. Like yeah. I could see something like that, or maybe the whole game la- uh, well, later down. Yeah, I, I would I would like it if it was just you. If you bought it on 3DS, you get a discount on the Wii U version, yeah. even especially if you bought it digitally. I think that would be smart. Just another way to like get people excited and say, hmm, I could get this other. I could upgrade and get the other console version for, I don't know, $20, $30, depending, yeah. of course. I mean, these things are expensive. People want to see the return on their money. But at the same time, it's it's good to acknowledge the consumer. Yeah, with with a game like Shovel Knight, I would understand it, right? Like, it makes much more sense for that game to be cross-platform. Yep. Yeah. Cross-buy. All right. So uh, we're taking a quick early break this time because when we come back, we're going to be talking all about that Lilat system and Star Fox. <laughs> Back from barrel rolling, <laughs> Jose Otero here, joined by Per Schneider and Brian Altano. What's up? And Hi, Jose. I would love to talk to you guys about Star Fox. So Star Fox has been on my mind a lot since post E3. Uh, I want to say that it actually hit me this week. That I'm like, oh, oh really? man, there's a there's a new Star Fox game coming, and I've always considered Star Fox one of the series that I just don't have a huge history on. Oh, but there are multiple reasons for that, and we'll get into it. Uh, so I decided to start doing my homework this week, and I thought, well, why not? Talk to people at home while we're at it, right? Why don't we talk about what's so? What is so great about Star Fox? Why don't you guys answer that question to start? It's animals and X-wings, basically. No, what's great about it is, I mean, my my first exposure to Star Fox was <laughs> way back in the early '90s when the first one came out. Yeah, right? and uh, you you're already laughing. At me I'm laughing because when when you, what you said, at, when Jose asked the question, you said it's 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 animals in X-wings, and my brain was like, it's it's animal Star Wars. It's, <laughs> it's what makes it it what makes it unique. I don't know if that's what makes it great, right? Like, I, yeah, the characters are kind of lame. They are lame. Like, <laughs> no, they're very lame. When you see the little stuffed animal versions that they used for the box art in the mm-hmm. beginning, you're like, they're very oh, lame. Come they're on. Inc- they're yeah. incredibly goofy. Yeah. They're just like it doesn't even make sense because they're like they have people's bodies, <laughs> like, anthropomorphic. Yeah, yeah they have man, like yes. adults, adult they're, man hands, and then furries. a weird head. They're furries. They're, they're furries. Yeah, it's, it's they're Disneyland mascots. <laughs> yeah, they're Disneyland mascots. But but, but they get in cool fighter planes and have dog fights. But and that's do cool stuff. It, it's cool. Like it would have made more sense if they were kind of cartoon animals, right? Yeah. Like in your in your regular kind of television cartoons. But they they're, they're weird. You know, but no. What made it so unique is like I lived. I lived in Japan when um, arcade games like Virtua uh, Racing came out, right? Like that's in '92, mm-hmm. and there was this moment where you step up to Virtua Racing and you see it running, and you switch the perspective of the car, and you're like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, you know, and like at that moment, it was it was for someone who was really into games. You know, played games on Commodore and and. Uh, platforms, consoles before that, you know, where I played games like Elite, you know, where we had these wireframe graphics and you're like Or Star Star Wars. Yeah, and Star Wars. And you're dreaming of a day where it's not just line drawings and the spaceships look real. And then you play Virtua Racing and you're like, 
oh my god you know it's like fine they, fill, they filled in the, the lines yeah the, my, my wife's standing next to me goes that looks lame that looks terrible I'm like no no but it's like it's real 3D she's like but it looks far worse than the other games which were like Outrun and like yeah sure yeah 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 and, you know, she could. She didn't see it. Well, the animation didn't look impressive at first. No. It was very primitive. The shapes themselves were super boxy. Like, you're absolutely right. But it was so cool. And at, at that moment, you knew polygonal games were going to be a thing. And then, you know, a year later, Nintendo did it on a home console. Yeah. And that's what was so unique, right? Mm-hmm. That obviously, the, the impact of the kind of jittery, crappy-looking 3D was lessened a little bit when Day- Daytona USA hit, hit uh, arcades yep. that same year. And you watch that game, you're like... What happened? Like, yeah. Last year, these cars looked were like flat shaded. Now they look amazing. Yeah, yeah. and if you're if you're a modern gamer, it's it's hard to kind of appreciate it because you know you play a game like Watch Dogs and you're like, oh, it's beautiful, but I don't like some of the textures. Yeah, yeah. like <laughs> textures. We didn't. Have text- you know what our textures were back in my day? Blue, <laughs> blue, yellow, green. Those were our textures, yeah. and it was just everything was made out of, t- of, of flat triangles. Yeah, and yeah. it was, it, but it was incredible. And it's, you you bring up a really good point, right? Where we had this like. This movement to make things more realistic, um, but through our you know artistic measures, basically, like games like Outrun, somebody had to actually draw everything in sprites and pixels and and stuff like that, and it was all very detailed. If you wanted to have a tree, you had to draw the little shades on it. And all of a sudden, we moved to this FX chip, yeah. and it was this thing you saw in the corner of the box where it just meant that everything in the game was going to look simple but better looking than any 3D model you'd ever seen before. Because mm-hmm. back in the day. <clears throat> When something was 3D, it, it just meant it was a flat thing that got turned differently, yeah. right? <laughs> it was just a piece of paper with different sides to it. Yeah. But Star Fox was like, somebody built that, yeah. you know? Yeah. And <clears throat> a thing that really got me into the, the art style for it was uh, the Nintendo Power put out this uh, model that it was a, a page in Nintendo in a, in a Nintendo Power that you you can still look this up online and it's a paper craft and you can cut it out and cut and fold and make an, uh, the R wing oh, from Star dope. Fox. That's awesome. Yeah, that's dope. And I made it and I put it in my bedroom and I'm like that thing is so cool and I was like I need to get that game because I want to fly that thing yeah. around. Yeah. And it was <clears throat> at the time they were already you know some some projects obviously Donkey Kong Country mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. later was you know pre-rendered characters. That's right. Um, but there were projects like that like Silphied. You know, Sega shooter where the backgrounds looked very similar to something like Virtual Racing or Star Fox, but they were pre-rendered. And so when you're moving your ship, nothing really happened outside of the camera moving slightly. And that was impressive. But the moment you could actually go wherever you wanted to go, your Star Wars dreams were realized, right? That's the first time I played Star Fox. I'm like, great, it's Star Star Wars. Where's my trench run? I want to fly through those gates. You know, I want to do the, you know helping my wingman when they mm-hmm. get pursued even yeah. if they have annoying yeah. even the friendly fire and all that stuff like that was all there from the beginning that was really impressive yeah. to mm-hmm. me um, I do want to paint the picture for folks also and I think you guys have done a good job of this already is that in the early 90s there was a huge divide between the arcade market and the home console market oh, God, in terms yeah. of power right you went to the arcade to see like the real oh, yeah. like really crazy good looking video games uh, that were designed to be short and unique experiences like not stuff that you'd spend more than a couple of quarters on then you'd go home and you'd play like the home console like Our, platformers arcades were like going to E3 every weekend yeah yeah, every, yeah or every day if you yeah. were that and kid they, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and in Japan you know in Tokyo especially uh, it, it was pretty acceptable um, to go out you know to the movies and then hit an arcade afterwards right like that's what young people did mm-hmm. um, and and it was it, it was cool you could actually drink beer in the arcade 
arcades and hang out and smoke and all that. And people. How watch young were these kids? <laughs> young people. <laughs> well, you know, young people uh-huh. like me. Getting yeah. um, some eight year old pair Schneider smoking cigarettes, pounding shots. It was okay to be older too, but the the machines were getting more and more elaborate, right? Yeah. Like when we're talking virtual <clears throat> racing, it was not a stand up machine. It was a sit down. It was you know just amazing seat. People could watch you play. There were like uh, you know fighter jet planes with gyroscopic giant like sit down cabinets. I mean, there was so much happening in the arcade scene that you just couldn't duplicate at home either. No. But then, you know, what Nintendo did, what, what was so unique, is they actually had the guts to put a chip inside a cartridge that mm-hmm. did something different, yeah. right? Like, yeah. suddenly the delivery format was not every cartridge is made the same. It was, this is a, it's a, spe- a special cartridge that adds more power to your hardware. And it's so unique. I mean, it was so unique back then. Now you get greeting cards you open and they play music and nobody bats an eye at that. That was voodoo magic back in the 90s, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Like that something could be cheap enough to be included with a disposable item like that. And mm-hmm. the same held true for cartridges. Yeah. So it was a, an amazing vision that they did that. Yeah, it was, it was a really strange, I mean, we talk about, we romanticize the arcade era right and we talk about the death of it as if it was killed by some outside force and it, it wasn't. was home console well, right home but console i mean that's it sort of imploded right like i mean so companies like midway uh were were like if you want to play mortal kombat you have to go to the arcade and i did and then they were like now it's on home consoles you don't have to go there anymore yeah and i stopped going there and then when I came back a few years later, they were wastelands and everything had changed. Like when I could play games like Star Fox at home, I didn't need to go put a dollar in a machine because I could save up 50 bucks to play that whenever I wanted to. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about the Super FX here, but let's talk a little bit about then the development of the first Star Fox, right? So this was a unique collaboration, something that unprecedented, at least in Nintendo's history, a collaboration with a UK-based developer uh, called Argonaut Software. <clears throat> So there's a great making of feature over on Eurogamer. Uh, just type into Google the making of Star Fox. And it, has a, it tells a great version of the story of basically the beginning of that relationship and how Argonaut essentially hacked the Game Boy. They had figured out a way around Nintendo's copyright protection. Uh, they're, they're just, they're, their means to make sure that other developers couldn't code and run their own software on the Game Boy hardware. And... They not only broke it, they designed a game around it that they showed to Nintendo, specifically Don James, who is still there now. I believe he's some sort of corporate VP of operations or something. Um, But anyway, that just caught them completely off guard. And rather than say, hey, let's sue these kids, they said, hey, let's make a game with them instead. What was the game? that they? uh, It was called X. It came out in Japan only for the Game Boy. And it was doing the 3D thing. It was on a Game Boy. Oh, because I remember there was a game on the Game Boy called Faceball. Does anyone yeah, remember it? I don't baseball. remember that. And it was yeah. it was like a it looked sort of like how do you even explain it? But it was it was sort of like a first person shooter game. Yeah, it looked like an ASCII game. Yeah, yeah. it was a first person shooter, but with uh, like a bouncy ball, and it had those like hard lined polygons, mm, you know, okay. that were. Yeah. No textures, of course. Yeah. So, so Argonaut had already been a successful developer in the UK. They made a game for the for a bunch of platforms like the Amiga, the ZX Spectrum, called Star Glider. Do you know that? Yeah. You're European. Yeah. You remember it's been that? A while. Okay. Yeah. Well, it sounds familiar. Sure, for sure. But uh, you know, so they entered this deal with Nintendo, and they basically helped. They also developed the Super FX chip, which at first was codenamed Mario. 
So what did that stand for? It was mathematical argonaut rotational input output. And that's about as dry <laughs> as we're going to get on this. There were one, two, three, four, five, six Super FX chip video games, uh, whether they all came out in the U.S. or not, just putting that for context for folks. Then they did a Super FX 2, which I remember because I played Doom on it, believe it or not. That was the only way I got to play Doom because I didn't have a PC. Yeah. And also Yoshi's Island ran on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which was uh, absolutely gorgeous. And it was the other end of, of that uh, you know sort of approach. Instead of a 3D sort of environment game, it was 2D sprites and really cool effects and rotations and things like and that. And I remember like just having my mind blown the first time I saw one of those things rotate. Like the first time you saw a, a sprite stretch or spin or rotate. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah. This was all power up uh, yeah. possible with the, with this technology. And it was so weird to see because we just didn't think you could do that to Link sprites. Link to the past, right? Yeah. The Triforce rotating. That that kind yep. of stuff was really But that was unique. more mode 7, I would say. Not but that still. one. Yeah. No, that one, that one is actually uh, – that one is real polygon oh, rotational. Yeah. yeah. Okay. There's was, some things in, in uh, Yoshi, of course, too, mm-hmm. right later where they have the falling walls. The yep. walls fall yep. forward. That was all. Or touch fuzzy get dizzy, which yeah. is one of the best uses of that Super FX too, Chip. Yeah. yeah. All right, but uh, but anyway, no. So let's talk a little bit more then about the first Star Fox for Super Nintendo, right? What do, what do you guys sort of remember? This has, by the way, never been re-released on Virtual Console, which is a shame, in my opinion. Why? Huge you know, like, success for them. 1993. This this blew people's minds. Like we were talking about earlier, you get to play a 3D game at home. What? Has it, has it just not aged well? Like, because that, that that hasn't stopped them with other things. They put out Urban Champion. Hmm. It'll be out. I, I think it's just one of those, hey, we'll do it when, when we're ready to do it and we don't need to do it now. I think uh, they just get skittish when there's specific hardware involved. Like in this case, mm-hmm. not having a Super FX chip and having to emulate that. It's, Everyone has their theories. That's mine. Mm. It, it means it's, it's you can't, you probably have to change your em- emulator to mm-hmm. actually, you know, take that into Do a account. little bit more but, work. But like just a, even a re-release, you can have so much fun with Star Fox because you could actually make it run at 60 frames per second and see what it feels like. It might feel very different, right? <laughs> like it might not feel like the game that we remember um, because part of playing Star Fox was that it it was choppy, right? It was slow. Remember whenever something blew up, it's like, <laughs> you know, like really slow kind of animation crashing on the floor, uh, on the ground. It would be cool to see yeah. a, a 60 frames per second, maybe even HD remake of it. Now, we so don't cool, need yeah. textures, but to just sort of buff everything up. <laughs> I don't know about we that. Don't text- <laughs> we don't need <laughs> textures. Five um, people will buy that game. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I just, yeah, it's true. I, I mean, I like, what they, I like what they showed at E3 with Mario Maker, right? Where you mm-hmm. could click a button and go from 8-bit to the new mm, yeah. so something like that would be sure. a cool approach yeah, yeah, to just yeah. kind of pop back to the Super Nintendo graphics yeah. well and, I mean we're, we're not we haven't emphasized that this is a rail shooter that's yep. what this series is about right mostly traveling on rails and you sort of just controlling one object and shooting at targets and you know doing yep. what you do it was the evolution of the old 2D scrolling shooter right like your mm-hmm. Xevious or any of the classics where you know you fly over a landscape you go left and right um, ultimately you know that some there are some hidden paths right where like storylines branch but ultimately it's a linear path to the end um but what was so cool about this one was that you really could go through a level any which way and you couldn't you know like you could fly through the gates and get upgrades or 
You know, you could take down enemies, you could lose your wingmen, and like that w- would really make it non-linear, right? Yeah. Like your experience would differ every time. Just like one little slip up, and the the rest of the game may be slightly different. So I, I thought that was it. Really fe- it felt like um like a movie that there was like six different versions of, right? Yeah. And it was like you know when you you have kids paired, like I'm sure they sit down, they watch a movie uh, five times in a row yeah. or like, ten times a week, and it's just the same thing over and over. And Star Fox felt like one of those things you could. I, I love the idea of. Coming home from school, having a crappy day and being like, I have an hour to beat a game and I'll feel better. Yeah. And I'll feel like I, I did something awesome. And Star Fox let you do that. And it like the branching paths let you do it differently and let you feel like a professional or if you wanted to just kind of cruise through, you could do that too. So yeah. I, I love that about it. it. I mean, my initial be, – because it felt so much like an arcade game, you know, like the, the spirit of an arcade <laughs> game, I was not disappointed that it was short. Because then I realized, I'm like, hey, there are all these other things that you still need to discover, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it felt like there were more levels in there. But it is it is kind of a tough sell nowadays to have the game set up the way it was, right? Like, with Star Fox 64, we actually heard a lot of people saying, that's not worth, you know, 50 bucks. It's like, it's it's such a short game, right? It's such a short experience. Especially, we, and we just saw it with the 3DS re-release, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, that they they charged full retail price for that game. Yeah. And it... You know, a lot of and it's still being charged at that. Price, it's still being charged at that price, and a lot of people uh, had a hard time justifying that for a, a game that is what forty minutes long. But that is it, that game specifically, and we're going to get to it. Is probably the best rail shooter ever made. Of course, yeah, like, no, hands I'm, down. I'm with you. No, there, there's very little debate on just how effective that. I'm game with you, was. but I think it does bring up a good point that uh, the pair is kind of alluding to here is that we've been having this debate for the longest time about you know. Uh, the arcade length games and the retail size price like that's you know we're always fighting for that balance there it grew out of the shmup right the the 2D shooter genre where you just didn't play a game for 20 hours that's not there's no 20 hour quest it's very intense you know some of the the cra- bullet hell shooters you yeah. want to kill Don yourself Maku. if the game lasts more than 2 oh, hours oh god yeah right? uh-huh. and um and so it was much more of an arcade experience <laughs> where you strive to play again because you want to get a get a better score now star fox does do that though it's not about getting the best score there was a special release right like the weekend uh, yeah cartridge, the championship yeah. that's right like they made 2,000 of these cartridges for for championships but it was more about just having fun and figuring out how to beat a level in the best way not necessarily like get a point ranking because sure. it, it was a shmup but it was campy yeah you know that's what was like just tonally it was a very campy game with some kind of messed up kind of dark elements to it like yeah. I mean some of the bosses were like I, actually pretty scary as a kid oh, you know the, de- the dead dad the thing, dead dad right? yeah like, like that's I mean James that is- McCloud was dead and Fox's father and he's got this Obi-Wan thing where yeah. he's like popping up in ghost form here and yeah. there like yeah. I, I mean that there was it was campy with but with some dark tones and I think that's why uh, it was kind of a cool step for Nintendo too to to kick off with you know here's this game it's in the deep darkest parts of space sure it's a rabbit and a, a fox and a and pig named a pigma <laughs> pigma yeah, they ran, awesome. I mean they ran out of names about halfway through naming them pigma sounds dirty yeah too. but it's this, it's this campy adventure story in the middle of space but with some kind of dark themes and I, I mean I just I think that was a really cool way to bring all that stuff yeah. together yeah and some of that comes from the, the character designer right like Imamura who worked uh, created the F-Zero characters you know worked on F-Zero before brought the kind of weird character design to to this franchise um 
it's it's funny right like if the characters didn't didn't exist would it be as memorable right like if it was just about the spaceships yeah you know like, like it's you, it's generic space marine yeah. and he's just no I don't think so but, I really don't and I think they they thought about that too you know what made Star Wars special weren't just the amazing spaceships like the X-Wings and the Millennium Falcon and the uh, mm-hmm. TIE Fighters it was the people were in it like yeah. you you liked Han Solo you liked Luke well that's Skywalker. why I like the yeah. Battle of Hoth scene is yeah. so memorable right yeah. because you're thinking oh my god where's Luke oh my god where's yeah. Yeah, oh my god, yeah. where is everyone while yeah. this is happening? Even though the special effects were just out of this world but, at the time. But then, like, Star Fox's characters and story, it's kind of like the budget version of Star Wars, right? Like, the yeah. bad guy is Dr. Zayas, basically, right? Yeah. From Planet of the Apes. Right and, down to the, the beard and the coat and everything. Yeah. It looks exactly like Dr. Zayas. Yeah. Yeah. It was all very derivative. Um, the story behind the characters is that, you know, Miyamoto was inspired by some some kind of fa- the, the classic fable characters that you'd find on, on temples. You and know, shrines and stuff. And shrines, yeah. like the fox and you know the toad and all that kind of stuff but it, it it's just it's so weird because you 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 probably wouldn't see a game like this made now but those were the days of experimentation with like weird characters I know I, th- I think you could see that game made now yeah? I, th- I only because I think that the short sort of experience that you can get a lot out of is a thing yeah. but I don't know if they would have necessarily landed on Star Fox Star- yeah. the fox <laughs> and, the, and the anthropomorphic animals no maybe so I'll I'm, back off on that like one. we have Shovel Knight right but I don't think Shovel Knight could have existed without games like Star Fox and the, the games before it, right? Like, I mean, yeah. you need, like, a, to just come out now in 2014 and be like, hey, here's a frog and uh, a rat, and they all fly and they shoot each other. <laughs> you can't do that. In that genre, like, for platformers, like, you know, your Sly Cooper, all that yeah. kind of stuff, it makes sense, right? Yeah. And, like, a lot of indie games have crazy characters. Sometimes it's a piece of meat, right? Yeah, Jumping yeah around. that's right. But, like, when you see a, a space-bound shooter like that, it's usually about the spaceships. Like, there's not someone in them mm-hmm. you know and like in this game that that's what made it well, but what I love about it is that they, they they never looked back from the theme like they stuck to their theme <laughs> yeah. like it was like it, they never like they don't even break the fourth wall like one of them's never like oh, is that is that a lizard why would it why is <laughs> like, you look at their logo right their logo is like they are a legit space team but yeah. there's a fox <laughs> yeah. it's awesome like yeah. right down to the branding on the side of their ships and everything the music is epic and everything's mm-hmm. like oh man and then the hood pops open it's like hello and it's yeah. a, a talking rapid it's, <laughs> it's awesome. some dark untold stories where like foxes sitting next to Falco going like I really want to eat him I really want to eat him <laughs> so there, I've thought about that a, mm-hmm. there is a dark untold story and that is Star Fox 2 oh, which yeah. we're not going to spend a lot of time on because there's so little to really talk about Nintendo didn't yeah it was <laughs> it was cancelled it was announced uh, it was being programmed around the Super FX presumably Super, Super FX 2 but unfortunately it would have hit around 19 which was too close to the Nintendo 64, which was to them the next big thing. And we've seen this happen uh, with Nintendo specifically a couple of times with other games where if it's too close to the next big system, they kind of go, uh, yeah. It was actually shown. It was, uh, you know, it was... Well, promoted at CES in 95, there was a, a corner dedicated to, to games using the FX chip, and, mm-hmm. and Star Fox was there. There was, like, a big banner for Star Fox 2. CES, of course, was the original E3. You yeah. know, when, before E3 became a standalone show, E3 was part of CES, and that's where it was shown. Yeah, I mean... So, then for it to be shown and marketed and and two at least two years of development time um, yeah. being spent and mentioned on it, the Nintendo it, Power multiple times probably it, it was very unique that it didn't actually make it and it, it didn't come out. Nintendo's not big on swan songs. 
for their mm-hmm. consoles. They never really have been. It's just sort of like they fight and fight and fight for them, and then they slowly trickle away. Itchy like if you and scratch, yeah. <laughs> you, you look at you look at the N sixty four, right? Like what was the what was the best final game on the N sixty four? Conquer maybe, and that was rare. I mean, you yeah. look at the GameCube. Like, what's your favorite game that Nintendo made in the last year of that system? You know. I'm sure I'll come up with something, but like Twilight you know, Princess, no, that's, that's sort it. of a trick. Twilight Princess was the kind dual. of a trick answer, right? Well, the, the double dip. Yeah. You look yeah. at the Wii, like on the Wii, they had a swan song in Skyward Sword. I feel, regardless of how yeah. we all feel about it, I guess you're right. I guess you're right that with was that the one. one time. Yeah, yeah, I think you're. I think you're right with that so one. As soon as and the new it, system comes along, it felt like, almost like a year, like a year too late with with uh, Skyward Sword because mm-hmm. you're like a lot of us had kind of moved on past the Wii by then. But yeah, also you got to remember, like in those days, '95, things were already changing, and so Star Fox 2 also looked a little outdated you know mm-hmm. what was happening in the computer market just mm-hmm. you know think about games like quake coming onto the scene earlier or way earlier already letting people play online and having these fast moving polygonal graphics and Especially star in the fox PC. 2 yeah. which did look better than star fox 1 but did not look as good as what was going on in the pc market right yeah. and so that was a risk um, to go out with that game at the time. And so they really wanted to tell the story about the power of the next-gen platform, and so Star Fox 2 got scrapped, and a lot of elements in Star Fox 2 would appear in later games. Yeah, before we move on to Star Fox 64, which is the next game, and the probably the, the tight, the pinnacle of the series as a whole, that was 1997, I do want to take one step back to talk about one thing we missed that I thought was fascinating, is that the Super FX chip was so important to Nintendo, it even made it into the marketing. Back during like the Super Nintendo Sega Genesis Wars, the commercials themselves were programming you to speak like, you know, sort of the Nintendo bot in a way, because you're yeah. like, this only because of the power Super effective, and do you remember the Star Fox ad itself, where it's like a spaceman in like a white corridor-looking thing, and then they lift the visor, and it's a fox. Yeah, <laughs> it was terrifying. Ah! So then fast forward to 1997, uh, Star Fox 64 hits. Uh, Apparently, a bunch of ideas from Star Fox 2 were brought into that game. But that game debuted with the Rumble Pack, by the way, the peripheral. It was the first force feedback game on console, at least at the time. Uh, First big one. And it is available on Virtual Console. Just putting that out there for folks if you didn't pick up the 3DS remake. Yeah, Star Fox 64, it's fair to say, right, that... Rumble technology was not invented by Nintendo like force feedback it existed in the PC market too but Star Fox 64 made it mainstream to the point where it is now part of every console game. yeah and yeah. Uh, you know PC games as well depending on what controller I, I get use. I get so happy and nostalgic when I think about when that whole era especially I love the n64 era I was like a, I think I was a junior or senior in high school and the N64 came out, and I was one of the first people in school that, that wanted it because everybody yeah. else was sort of, like, focused on other things at the time. And I was like, I want the N64. And when Star Fox came out, I remember the, the box that came in with the Rumble Pack in it and putting it's it in. A normal box. Yeah, the giant <laughs> box. Huge. And putting it in, plugging it in, and seeing that cutscene at the start where all the characters were running 
down the corridor. And it's the first time you really saw them like outside of the ships and like actually moving. Because it's always just you saw their heads talking and stuff yeah. like that. But this was like their full bodies. They're running. It's going down. Like there's there's lights and radars uh-huh. and all this stuff going everywhere. And they get in their ships to fly off. And it was just awesome and they like, talked and they talked yeah and then speech bubbles that popped up and all you the first when that game first opened up and you're in that big open area and uh you're flying around how beautiful it looked how, yeah. how many things are going on you're like i want to save him but i want to collect all these rings but i want to yep. get that power up oh my god like the architecture is collapsing and there's waves of enemies coming in it, it was incredible it looked really cool i at first i had you know when I first heard the characters talk, I was like, "Man, I'm I'm missing the McRabbit, McRabbit, Emergency, emergency!" It took me a while to get used to it. It's like when Garfield talks for the first right, time. Right, right, like, right. Garfield doesn't talk; he's in my head, uh-huh. right? Like mm-hmm. he thinks stuff. And uh, but that but then yeah you take in the world and it, it was just so cool. They, there's a lot of good stuff in Star Fox 64. Obviously you can play you know the the remake mm-hmm. um, on the 3DS as well. But just the the boss battles, you know they just all the things you had to shoot and mm-hmm. like it's like the the heyday of the blinking red light tells you where to shoot you know yeah. like, and how bosses would transform it, it was it was the really transforming cool. bosses was incredible by the way because yeah. there was that one where you you'd kill him and he was like oh you got me it's fine yeah. <laughs> or did you and it's like legs are like oh no i got to take him out again That's oh, right. it was, like, it it was uh, yeah it was presented <laughs> as a spectacle as well like the very first boss you fight in that game uh, if you didn't take the alternate yeah. path uh, they tell you get low because it's flying over and you just see this big shadow yeah. fly over your ship and you're like okay yeah. <laughs> and you look up like alright I gotta do something here and that's was- when the the, the the stage design for the first time uh, opens up in this sort of dogfighting you know and turns into this like you're in a arena all of a sudden instead yeah. of it just yeah, being the, straightforward the, what's that called again all the, wing all range mode all yeah, range, all range mode. mode yeah and the wings would sort of fly out a little further yep. that, that was so like a you know, a lot of movie franchises obviously inspired the, the Star Fox games, right? Like you have Star Wars, you have the kind of flying through trenches and all that kind of stuff. That game had a lot of references in it, but you could tell Nintendo was getting cold feet. Like there's a reference to V'ger from the original Star Trek motion picture. One of the enemies mm. actually in the Japanese version says V'ger and stuff like that, mm. um, which they changed. But then they had the Independence Day all range battle, right? Yeah. Like you had the giant ship coming down, mm-hmm. flying in any direction. And like the this the first first time you got to experience that was just so cool right? yeah like, yeah after being locked into a path suddenly you're like whoa hold on like where do i go tell me where to go and, and then, like, yeah you yeah. the uh the those like three those 180s that you were doing mm-hmm. and stuff like that and the 360 uh kind of flip in the air you could do mm-hmm. like something was coming at you from behind you you hit hit a button and do a, a full loop and it'd be ahead of you and you'd start shooting it. Just really cool to do stuff like that. And sure. they, they were smart about it because we had always dreamt of an open Star Fox game where you can fly everywhere, right? And there were games on the PC like the X-Wing uh, and TIE Fighter games which which did that. You could fly, you know, you could fly around in these big arenas uh, or, you know, in these big mission zones and you could, you know, scan ships and interact with them. But there was never a sense of speed because it was wider open and more realistic open space. With 
with Star Fox, what they did is they give you just enough freedom to like fly around, attack this giant mothership, have these intense dogfights, but kept you in a smaller area just to keep things fast mm -hmm. too. So mm -hmm. it never felt slow. It was never a simulation. It was still like true to its action route. Yeah, the only challenge with the whole thing was trying to shoot at bosses in all range mode because some of them would just tre like the yeah. smaller ones. Like there's a a pair of twin like they're almost like robot. Uh, bears they mm -hmm. look like believe it or not uh, but they fly around and it can be difficult to kind of track their position and see where they are and then attack that was the only challenge yeah. I felt with all range which mode. is an interesting point like when we talk about the Wii U concept um, I feel like that one is trying to solve for that very problem but there are actually games now we played Valkyrie right the uh, the Eve um, based uh, shooter yeah. mm -hmm. on the o Oculus Rift where you know um to me, that was a moment like in Super Mario 64 where for the first time you step into a 3D world, you're like, oh, you know, mm -hmm. that's the future. When I played <laughs> this game on Oculus Rift, I immediately thought of Star Fox, right? You, the way you start off in the hangar and you kind of pulled out. And then when you face your first enemy and you look up, you realize how important it is in a dogfighting game to have a look and aiming and all that separate. Yeah. Right? And like that game opens up, it really lets you track your enemies by looking around in 3D space. And I think that's what they're trying to get up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the issues with free range in yep. the original yep. 64. Yeah. It's yep. like somebody flew over your head and you're like, oh crap, how am I gonna find them? And you just yeah. you sometimes like, Around See, that's the opposite of how uh, Bungie solved sort of the vehicle problem with shooters, where they tied mm -hmm. sort of look to where the cannon on the back yeah. of the Warthog was facing. That solved the problem the opposite way, where it was like, hey, you can drive anywhere, but you can constantly keep track of what you're looking at by just rotating the right stick. Yeah. Um, but no, I agree with you. That, that could be one of the problems they're trying to solve for. When I played the new Star Fox, they didn't show us. So they call those on-rails missions Valley Mode, apparently, mm -hmm. internally. Um they didn't show us a level like that yet. It was still just open spaces mm -hmm. to play in all range mode, so it was a little strange. But now at least I see it. What like part of that was getting at? Um, but yeah, just quickly on Star Fox sixty four. Um, you know, the, the whole concept of the branching paths, how every mission had, you can get mission complete or you can get mission accomplished, which yep. meant that you went to the hard path mm -hmm. and the hard path was the only place to find the submarine was was one of the only ways, I believe, to do that. It would have been better if you hadn't found that one, though. Uh, I'd, I'd argue. You would argue yeah. no no submarines, my get least, them out of my software. I was my least about favorite that mission in all of Star Fox. That's fair. Wait, I'm not talking about the Namco one yet. Yeah, we, we haven't got to those. <laughs> yeah. Um, then there was uh, the Landmaster tank also debuted in uh, Star Fox 64. Which I actually liked. Like some yeah. people had problems with leaving flying behind and doing, doing ground-based stuff. I liked how they solved vehicle control. I think it catches you off guard though because through most of that game movement is tied to that left stick and so you're used to the concept of how planes work where like forward to dive yeah, yeah, yeah. pull back to go up and now you're on a tank on the ground and you have to keep that same sort of aiming in mind I, I it's completely I thought it always felt weird the way they the ca just the camera was pulled down mm -hmm. to the earth on those stages and it it did really throw off my perspective of just sort of like and you could do the barrel rolls but they just yeah. Yeah, but it did not feel dun, the same dun, yeah, yeah it's just, just like it looked like <laughs> A car so, hover, I, I thought it was really cool. The hover, the hover was cool. Yeah, it, I like, it. It, like the perspective told you from the get-go, it's not. <clears throat> it's more about what goes on in the sky than what goes on on the ground, right? Like you mm -hmm. had to avoid obstacles and yeah. roll out of the way. Mm -hmm. But it was more about using that lock-on feature, which the g game introduced too, like the way you locked onto enemies to blow up uh, multiple ones and all that. It was more about that. I felt mm -hmm. like, yeah. and so I really <laughs> liked the gameplay elements they introduced. They had the um, the U-turn, the Immelman maneuver when you're flying too, where you do the you know the 
the half loop and turn around That's to right. attack yeah. the enemies. Yeah. This is a lot of good stuff in that game. When the lock-on feature didn't disrupt the way the camera was facing, whereas you take the way lock-on worked in a link to the past, I mean, in a, excuse me, Ocarina of Time, and that's completely different, yep. right? You locked onto an yep. enemy, and that became the focal point of all, like, camera interaction and whatnot. Yep. All right, so... I can I can talk about Star Fox 64 all day. I'm playing it right now so much. We should probably move on unless you guys have anything else to oh, add. The only thing it added four player, right? Like yeah, that the was multiplayer yeah. battle. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's right. And it really, I mean, it it was it was fun. We never got into it like into Mario Kart or mm-hmm. any of the other kind of classic multiplayer battle games like Bomberman. Um, I played it with my friends a fair bit. We liked it, but it. It really suffered from the fact that you could look at other people's screens. And oh, just, yeah, yeah. It just kind of highlighted the need for gaming to evolve past split screen mm-hmm. into having your full view, being immersed in this cockpit view, and not knowing where your enemy is coming from. Right? Yeah. Like later, dogfighting games did that so well on the PC and on the and, uh, original yeah. Xbox. And the Crimson 3DS Sky. version, uh, the <laughs> remake, uh, sort of addressed that because you can do local multiplayer and the other three yep. people didn't even have to own the game. They could just download play with you. Mm-hmm. But the bigger disappointment of that whole thing was not not being able to play that online. It was like, yeah. no, yep. like how could you bring back yeah. this cool concept and then just get that far? But at the time, that was still so early in the 3DS's yeah. life and Nintendo was still kind of slowly making their way through how do we do online. I do want to say one more thing about Star Fox 64. Sure. Me too. Before we go into the where this goes Well, it next. all goes downhill from here. <laughs> Sorry. Where this goes, speci- <laughs> it goes specifically to one planet full of dinosaurs and uh, that all started from an unlockable mode in the multiplayer version of Star Fox 64 where you could unlock tanks and then you can unlock on foot mode which for the first time ever do you guys remember this no so for the first time ever you could play as uh, like Peppy and 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 Slippy and stuff like that, and they were running around with bazookas. That was sixty four. That wasn't an. You sure that wasn't assault? No, it was sixty four. It was sixty four. I totally forgot. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. I totally forgot. Been too long. And they controlled like tanks, and it didn't work well. But uh, that that sort of that was the first time they were really out of the vehicles, and it didn't feel right. And we were like, go back in, and they didn't listen. Wow. (laughs) The the other thing I I really liked about Star Fox sixty four is the music really came into its own. Right, like the original game has music by a guy that nobody remembers right it's uh it was good music though Hajime Hirasawa. yeah but it was good music on the super nintendo it was Sorry. fantastic yeah, it was like, great the themes i mean very star warsy and then um, like wakai and kondo uh, who are still uh, around you know making <coughs> nintendo game music hajime wakai and Ko- koji kondo um took some of the themes remixed them and like the music in star fox 64 is just awesome oh yeah, yeah. It's really no, i agree i agree mm-hmm. all right so then let's go <laughs> now let's do a barrel roll into, do we have into, to and descend into the the, the crap <laughs> that exists uh, after crap. well it's not all crap to be yeah. fair let's start with 2002 star fox adventures this was developed by rare and was previously a game for N64 in development called Dinosaur Planet. Yeah, so, I first saw it as Dinosaur Planet with uh, the, you know, very Star Fox-looking characters, which, you know, the moment we saw it, we're like, they should just turn it into a Star Fox game. Really? Yeah, like the moment we saw it, we actually asked Miyamoto that question in an interview, not saying this is Inception where sure. you know, we planted the seed in his head. It may have been there all along, but we're like, you know, it's kind of a generic franchise. Why don't you use your own characters, you know? Um, but yeah, Dinosaur Planet is such an odd game. Have you play- Did you play through the whole thing or did you mm-hmm. play it? Um, you, wait, you're talking about Star Fox yeah. Adventures. You're yeah, calling Star it Fox Dinosaur Adventures. Planet. I'm like, no. that didn't come out. What are you no. talking about? <laughs> uh, so I don't remember the exact name for it, but there's uh, a section in that game that's one of the most like frequently <laughs> raged quit sections in all of video game history. Is it carrying mm-hmm. the crates? 
<sighs> that was bad. You're gonna you're bringing it all back. <laughs> yeah, Don't yeah, do this to me. He's Painful. sweating. I tried. You don't know what it's like on the GameCube, man. When you had yeah. a GameCube, you pretty much you took what you got some months, you know. Yeah. And that month, I I got that. <laughs> And uh, I played it all the way until the end, and I think there was like it was some sort of like some strength test that uh, you had to do. And people will write in, I'm sure, because I'm bringing back the, the horrible worst memories. memories. Yeah, it was a strength test where you had to mash the the button on the controller like, harder than I've ever pressed anything in my entire life. And I died on it ten times in a row. And every time you did, you had to like replay the whole cutscene and go through the whole thing from start to finish. And I got up and I was like. That's it. I'm out. I don't give a crap about Prince Tricky or this this stupid <laughs> planet. Prince Tricky had a ball. Oh, he was the worst. Oh, the best thing you could do in that game was hit him. Yeah, that's true. So if you haven't, you could beat you, him with your stick. If you've never played Star Fox Adventures, which there there are a ton of people who have never played it, it is not a Star Fox game where you fly with ships. There are some sequences, but they're more like load screens. It's like these little segments of R-wing action in between, you know, traveling between locations. They feel like an add-on. There's no challenge. They're not yeah. riveting or exciting, right? Especially after like 64. Yeah. But then the main game is basically The Legend of Zelda. It's like you are... You it know, wants to be The Legend of Zelda. You can care. You try. No, carefully, like, sir. But the, the adventure <laughs> aspect, it's like he's got a – Star Fox has a staff, mm-hmm. you know, that he fights with. It's not even like Star Fox with his, his laser gun. And you're running around and you're trying to help, you know, like uh, people in this dinosaur-based world. And at first it was cool to have like, you know, this this fox character and like you see you see all the, the dinosaurs standing around. There were some epic moments that felt felt really cool. And sure. And some beautiful graphics. It was really for pretty time. for the time. Yeah. They, they try, you know, and it was like – we had Ocarina of Time, and we were sort of chasing the ghost for that for a few years of trying to feel like what's going to be the next thing that's yeah. going to get there. And Rare specifically tried a few times to do that again and just mm-hmm. couldn't nail it. Um, but the best part of that game was you would travel between sections in your R-Wing. Do you think that was the best part? Well, like, it was the, it was the you, closest you, part that if you felt... put him back in the plane, he was happier. Yeah, <laughs> right. exactly. I wanted exactly. that to be good, and every every time there was an action <laughs> sequence like that, I'm like, this looks great, and I am so bored. Like nothing happened. Like mm. it didn't it didn't feel like classic Star yeah. Fox. But um, but I also but it was I, close. I think there are other good things. Like there were some cool thoughts. Um, you know, you're playing with a little triceratops, like tricky. Yeah, triceratops. Triceratops. Mm-hmm. Good. They're very cl- clever in the Prince the Star Tricky. Fox. R wing argonaut, right? Yeah. Like yeah. Um, but but yeah, the prince tricky. Jesus. That was his but name. But the the character switch, right? You played as Crystal too, the the blue lady fox and all that. Yep. <laughs> Purple lady fox. Mm-hmm. It was cool to have that set up, and there were some unique moments in there. In the end, it's you know the game's okay. I don't think it's that bad. I don't think people it's as bad as people made it made it out. But it wasn't Star. Did you finish it? Yeah. Really? He yeah. had to finish I it. He probably so got through the strength. Yeah. It. No, I didn't he, review he it. Didn't, but I, you got through the strength yeah. trial or whatever. Yeah, I got through yeah. everything. He didn't finish it because he wanted to. I do want to point out, though, that it does surprise me how much this didn't feel like a Star Fox game or how far it missed the mark, at least to, to myself, mm-hmm. considering it was a game made by Rare, which at the time, I think, really had not done wrong. Like, Rare, every game that they touched, for the most part, came along well. I, Donkey Kong Country, 007 Goldeneye, Blast Jet War. Force Gemini, Blast Corps. Especially, like, looking Jet, at Jet Force Gemini, I'm Jet, like, oh, Jet this Force could... had issues. Jet it, Force Gemini some, was not a good game. It didn't control it was okay. right. Uh, I thought it was fine. I, I just... I I looked at that and said, okay, well, maybe they can apply this, this sort of logic and make Star Fox better. And instead, they, like you said, they took another game, which was Dinosaur Planet, based it around Star Fox. And I don't know if people really wanted Fox to ever get out of the R-Wing. It was more about just the really, really great spaceship yeah, It wasn't called Fox. Land Fox. No. <laughs> <laughs> but that's unfair, too. It's Fox. like, it's Car Fox. <laughs> it's, you know, for... Oh, Car Fox. To, 
you know, Rare obviously wasn't setting out to make a Star Fox game. No, from the it, they were. It was kind of. I don't know if if they willingly changed it or if it was it was kind of more pushed from the Nintendo side because they didn't want to forget about these characters. Um, but there there's a lot of good stuff in that game. I think the cardinal sin of that game is that it, like Donkey Kong uh, Donkey Kong sixty four, which you know just made collectoritis a disease, oh, right? Man. Like, it was like, and there are more bananas to collect, and now there's pink bananas, and there's blue bananas, and there's, you know, like... I was like, I'm game, done. Keep the bananas. This I don't game care. tried to make everything special. Every time Fox picks something up, and it's like, it's another glowing orb, and it's like, oh, it floats up yeah. in the air, and you're like, I don't care about <laughs> this glowing orb. Them. Like, if it was a hook shot, I'd be excited, but a glowing orb is dumb, right? Like, nothing. I, yeah. pe- the people thing. hate when I say this, and this is probably not the right place to say this, but I think we really... Uh, oh, sort of over-romanticized what Rare was doing on the N64. You think so? I really do. I think uh. that I think they did. I, I think that they struck gold with Goldeneye. I thought it was it was fantastic. Yeah. No sure. pun intended. Um, <clears throat> felt Perfect Dark lost a lot of that. I thought Donkey Kong 64 was a train wreck. I thought Jet Force Gemini was rough. Blast Corpse. Blast, Blast Corpse was, was fun, great. but that was a very like 6040 game. game. Okay, like, so th- this is its own episode. I wanna I wanna get into Rare and the N64 sure, era sure. one day. Let's yeah. uh, let's save that one. That's sure. a good one. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna make sure we come back. I will to not that. say Mickey Speedway then. All right, oh, yeah, uh, that's right. But, Dude, let, that a good game. but let us continue Racing. forward into Star Fox Assault. Fine. 2005. This was made by Namco, another developer that, in my mind, um, made sense only because of the Ace Combat pedigree. If you and were familiar with Ace Combat, you knew that this was sort of a dogfighting style, like realistic game, and you just think, oh, we can maybe trust these guys to make Star Fox. Folks who worked on the second Ace Combat worked on Star Fox Assault, okay. and like the the time it was born, it was actually really exciting because Nintendo had announced a joint venture with Sega and Namco for something called the Triforce Arcade Board. Yeah, yeah. If you I remember, remember that. there was a Mario Kart arcade game that came out of that. There was a F-Zero, GX, and AX, the, the Amusement Vision Sega game developed, which, which, which I are, love that game. I mean, two of the most, like, uh, memorable uh, f- just uh, the way people talk about that game is like I mean they are spot on. It is one of the best star, uh, one of the best F Zero video it's, games of all time. I mean, it's both the savior and the devil. Yes, I mean, it is one of the hardest. Games. Oh my it's god, brutal! But like the Namco side of this joint venture, that's where Star Fox came in. This was devised as a Triforce game, right? Yep, like yep. they initially when they announced it. Uh, you know, like everybody was saying, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You know, this is a console game, and looking at you and in f- standing in front of the Triforce logo, it was going to be an arcade game as well. Never, never happened. Well, that it was their goal, right? Yeah, Not, that whole Triforce experiment was supposed to bridge the home console and arcade experience, exactly. and the hardware itself was primarily based off GameCube. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So it, it never came out in arcades. Instead, we got the home game, which is, of course, Star Fox Ass. <laughs> um, which I mean, it's not that terrible. It just it has you some of the it worst ass, moments <laughs> in, in Starbox, and it has it has some really good moments too. Mm. You know, the do- again the the sh- the plane stuff okay, if not fine. I mean, still not N sixty four level. Like, oh my god, that game was really good. But uh, the minute you got on foot, yeah. You just so slump your shoulders. If you think about at this what was on time, GameCube. Yeah. Yes, this okay. came out in 2005, and so what you have to look back in history, right? Like the last Star Fox game was an on-foot adventure game, and so I think now Nintendo is kind of saying like, well, how do we make people happy who love the characters and what we've built with Star Fox uh, Adventures? Yeah. And how do we make people happy who love the flying? Parts? Give them more dialogue. 
We so, need your help. <laughs> <laughs> we need your help. Press C or R twice. So what you're getting is a game that has equal parts on foot and equal parts flying. That's Which it was for. a weird theme back then too, right? Because I remember I was huge on the Rogue Squadron games. Yeah. Great, yeah. great games. Yeah. And then each one got a little worse because they, they were like, let's have a tiny little Luke Skywalker yeah. jump out of his plane and run around like uh, this micro machine world. Well, like, yeah, the escort yeah. missions were yeah. like a total test of your patience. That was another one. I'm surprised that, by the way, that developer didn't end up trying to make a Star Fox. I, I mean, five. They that, that was two ships passing in the night back there. Like, I'm yeah. amazed that that didn't happen. I'm yeah. sure. There's probably talks. It was not for lack of trying. They, they had a Pilot Wings game that they worked on, and mm. we actually saw a prototype of it, like Factor 5. I've worked on see on they took Star Fox and made it into Lair that's what it was that's forget what it all the dragons oh, that's why Lair was terrible maybe we I'm lucked sorry. out <laughs> maybe we lucked out um, yeah. but anyway, yeah go so back this, to this the game like again what's good, <laughs> in, control. what's good in Star Fox Assault all the the flying tell the game the, pad to roll <laughs> <laughs> oh man waggle motions to fly it ain't working <laughs> <laughs> alright alright we got so what was good about Assault was that it it like there were moments where you're like this is awesome I can Land the ship, get out on foot, do something. You know, like you had this this gauge that filled up, and it told you, like, "Hey, your forces are under attack. Get back, get back in the ship." Yeah, you had to get back in the ship and fly into the sky and defend them. So it did a really nice job trying to pull together the worlds of the the landmaster, the tank, the R wing, mm, and yeah, the foot yeah. stuff. Yeah. You could even at points like sit on the wing of the R wing and shoot people. Like you know, like. It just had so many good ideas. Yeah, I know. And, and visually also, I thought it was pretty impressive. They sort of reapproached the the art itself, like super stylized R-Wing. It looked amazing. Yep. Like all of it looked really good, I thought. And then it had multiplayer and, you know, it had like the, uh, what did it have? It had like a survival mode, a versus <laughs> mode. It's just like every time you stop flying, you're like, oh, man, I don't want to be playing a third-person version of Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Just, yeah. No, and fair. again, it's a it it makes it makes sense. It followed Star Fox Adventures. They wanted to develop their their characters, right? Like that was actually a big campaign in the GameCube age. It's like only Nintendo has these characters you want to play as, like yeah. Mario, you know, like Link, like Star Fox, Prince Tricky. Yeah. It wasn't play as a plane. <laughs> it was play as a fox. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so like it it eventually it didn't work out. There there are a lot of people who have fond memories of Assault who liked yeah. it. I'm gonna go back to it this yeah. weekend. That's yeah. gonna be my my home. Work. It's not as it's not as bad as you remember it, but it's also not great. Okay, it's, it's decent. Yeah. Uh, so then we arrive at 2006, and Star Fox Command is released on the DS. So yep. this was d- developed in collaboration between Q Games. Now, side note, Q Games was founded by uh, Dylan Cuthbert, who was uh, the main programmer on mm-hmm. Star Fox. He's also 18 years old when he started working at Argonaut, or when yeah. Argonaut entered the partnership with Nintendo, which blows my mind. But anyway, uh, really, really smart guy. Makes really good games. Um, and uh, anyway, it was a collaboration between Q Games and EAD. And basically, it was sort of, so, well, what was it? It was kind of a hybrid of a bunch of things. It was so close. It was, yeah. <laughs> it took That's ideas it sh- from Star Fox 2 as It well. should yes. have been called yeah. Star Fox So Close. <laughs> it was right, oh, it was right there. But then they... Okay. They screwed up a few things. So I, I th- talk I th- about it. So my, my main issue with the game, and this was you know prevalent with a lot of games around the time on the DS, and uh, we we it just it happens when we have these sort of like ideas that have to get shoehorned onto us. Uh, uh, I, in lack of a better term, a gimmick, right? And in this case, it was the touchscreen, which I think was implemented very well in, in a lot of games. But the touchscreen now suddenly became 
part of Star Fox, and I don't think it needed to be there. Uh, one of the big offenders was uh, plotting your course. And it was like drawing this line. And they did this a bunch of times. They did it. I mean, the Spirit Phantom Tracks did that. Yeah, did stuff yeah, like that yeah. did it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it never really felt natural to me. It always just felt like you're drawing this line that you probably could have done with a D-pad and two clicks and then gone on your way. But that's how you, you set your trajectory of where your ship was going to eventually end up, like level-wise. So uh, I wasn't wild about that. I didn't, I didn't like how it was like it mostly was uh, centered around arena-based stuff. And it, you didn't have the valleys so yeah, much, yeah. or at all, I don't think. Yeah. Right? It, it was an interesting concept to use the DS uh, stylus as a way to pilot because if you think about it, just like mentally, it, it almost does feel like they're going for the actual stick, right? The, yeah. The, the 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 flight stick itself, but at the end of the day, it's so small and it's kind of in the way, and I don't know, it didn't it didn't kind of hit everything I thought it would, but mm-hmm. it was responsive and it worked I like, fine. And, and I like the I like the accuracy you got from the like the true analog. Control Control of using a touchscreen, right? Yeah. For yeah. aiming, like you could accurately pinpoint things like that. Problems breaking by double tapping, barrel rolling by swiping, all that kind of stuff. Or like you had to do like this this swiping motion, right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. That you didn't work like for me. Circle, like yeah. it's anytime you introduce an element of w- where the controls can break, like you know you you no longer feel in control of the character. That's an issue, and like. I, you know, I felt about that with some of the sword controls in Skyward Sword, right? Like where I felt that I swiped down, but Link doesn't do the motion. Yes, yes. And you never get that by pressing a button. You never get that with a stick. You feel like you screwed yeah. up and not the game. The input's and I felt more like, reliable. Yeah. I felt like I am, I am trying to break and I didn't, and therefore, you know, the controls. I, I think you totally nailed it. Yeah. They, they, they reinvented something that had worked for better or for worse for you know ten something years then, and yeah. it was like why. Why even bother? Like, why, why, why change something that fundamentally uh, always just worked w- with a button press? And now you were, it was shoehorning all these ideas in, into something that didn't need to be there. And that that worries me about like uh, games that that pivot around sort of a gimmick like that. It worries me because Does that worry you about the new game then. The new game is using uh, the gamepad. It does, and I'll, t- I'll tell you why. Um, and I've talked about this before on this show, but I feel that when something like that happens, not only is it hindering the ability of it to work functionally on the system it's designed for, but also it hinders its ability for us to uh, return to it years later. Mm. So, I mean, I, I like Star Fox, you know, 64, you can be played on anything with a controller and a TV pretty much forever. But if the new Star Fox game doesn't work well with the Wii U gamepad, or it does for a little bit, I mean, what what are we going to be playing it on 10, 15 years from now? Like, I worry about that sort of archivalness, right? Okay. And something that's only, like, Skyward Sword, right, relies on those motion controls, and I can't play it on anything else mm-hmm. until I, I'm, unless I'm using those. Like, So when those stop working and that becomes Wiimotes aren't a thing anymore, someone's going to have to port that to a system that uses a traditional controller or figure out a whole new way to do it, and maybe they won't and it just dies in time. So I worry about that, you know? Oh, okay. yeah. No, I hadn't thought about that. That's true. I, I think games like that can always be adapted. <laughs> you know, somebody has to time uh, spend extra time. Obviously, a lot of controllers have gyroscopes in them, right? Like, you could do Skyward Sword on a PlayStation 4, you know, with the tracking and the camera yeah. and everything yeah. pretty easily. Um, but it wouldn't feel the same as holding a stick, right? Like, the remote is a stick like like a sword. Um, I hear you. I, you know, I, I, I have a feeling that 
you know, for the Wii U Star Fox that the, the ability to look around and the additional view will add something, but I don't think it's going to be essential to it, you yeah. know? Just that was like, my takeaway, too. Just yeah. like yeah. Star Fox Command, you could do without the touchscreen. Like, just use analog, analog stick. It'll, yeah. it'll be a better game in the yeah. end. Mm-hmm. Um, you know? And, like, I mean, at the time, the, the DS didn't have an analog stick or an analog slider, yeah. but Star Fox, the original game, didn't have that either, and that worked. It worked. Maybe it's yeah. hard going back to it once you have the minute, like the minutia of the controls for mm-hmm. the Star Fox 64 version. It does, yeah. Yeah. Could be. The, the other thing the game introduced, though, was the, uh, the, the strategy elements, right? Yeah. Like which, which, again, were borrowed from two, or ideas from two found their way into command. Yeah, li- the, this little map setup mode where you had to, you know, you had to do stuff, um, which wasn't in any of the other games. I felt like it's an odd pairing with fast-paced action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if I appreciated it. Like, I thought it was a cool concept, but in the end, it more broke, down, broke up the flow, uh, the flow for me. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So uh, let's really quickly then, before we end, why don't we talk a little bit about uh, our hopes for Star Fox Wii U as a whole. I mean, I think having played the demo, and actually you got to see a little bit of it when we spoke to Miyamoto, um, one of the things they're trying for outside of putting the gamepad as part of like an additional view and something that could help you shoot uh, is that you're still going to play it without the gamepad and like you can play looking primarily on the television and piloting the R-Wing the way you always could. But when you click the right stick, the R-Wing will then transform into the Landmaster tank. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was really funny because the night the game was demonstrated, Miyamoto accidentally triggered it early. He goes, oh, wait, wait, I was, I'm supposed to do that later. And they just switched back <laughs> to the plane mode and took off. Um, but there is sort of Transformers. <laughs> them trying to find a way to not just make it about the dogfights themselves, but find ways to make them dynamic and change them. Mm-hmm. And again, they only demonstrated that in this one open area. And then we also got to see a, a helicopter mode where uh, you basically controlled a ship and you can drop a robot that's on a tether. It's like a the, little Rob robot. Rob yeah. robot mm-hmm. almost. And it's hard to pilot the robot if you're only looking at the television. The first-person camera is on the gamepad at that point, and you can use the robot to pick up like power-ups and things like that. And he's uh, he, that level in particular was hilarious because it took place... Um, it, it, it just looked like a city, but they had the new Nintendo building there because uh-huh. Nintendo was just switching their offices at yeah. that point when, uh, when they were going back to Japan for Me 3. <clears throat> and... Uh, and there was also a huge monster stomping around. But anyway, like I, I have hopes that sort of the development on Fox himself, like look at look at that series roots, and it seems like the most successful work they ever did was keeping those characters in the ships. Honestly, let yeah. the cutscenes do the talking. Let some of that other stuff be what it is, and and sort of elevate those characters that way. Yeah. I don't think necessarily controlling any of them on the ground is really appealing, and look, and, or ever was. I mean, there's precedent, right? Like, a race car driver is not that exciting when they're walking around. Right? Yeah. Like, it's about yeah. the race car driver's combination with the car, and I'd argue that Sonic in a car is also not that exciting, right? Like, we've seen this before, where people try to to change what a character means for a franchise, and I mm-hmm. think they, they figured out that you just gotta have these characters in the ships, hopefully not walking around. Um, that said, though, the Smash Brothers, right? And having a character like Star Fox and Star Wolf in the Smash Brothers characters adds that kind of additional, you know, um, the clout to the character, makes you, takes care of the cl- characters, makes sure that we remember them, but it does it in a game where it makes total sense. I re- and I really enjoy that for some reason. Yeah. I mean, I, it's probably because I just really enjoy Smash Brothers and I love, I just love the spectacle around it. I love the orchestrated music and the, how beautiful those games are. Just everything coming together. I, I, I mean, I talk about this all the time, uh, but I, I, I don't like when 
you see those characters mm-hmm. running around. But I do love them in that game. So I think there's there's a way to find that balance. I think it's because Star Fox games are so few and far between that when we do get them, we sort of want them to keep recapturing that Star Fox and Star Fox 64. You know, we want them to kind of bring us back to that. And when we finally get a Star Fox game every seven years or something and they spend most of the time running around on foot or in a tank – it's not a Star Fox game. It's it's a letdown. I'm a I'm a huge fan of dogfighting and flying mm-hmm. flying things around. You know, some of my favorite games of all time. I love Sky Odyssey. I love Pilot Wings. I love the the Valkyrie. You know, dogfighting thing on on um, for the Oculus. And like, if they could take the core of Star Fox, the great controls of the ships, and turn it into an amazing multiplayer games, Crimson Skies. By the way, I spend way too much time on the Xbox playing that one. Like, you could you could build something really special one because now the wii u is online and you know there may even be chat in some instances please not just in the lobby <laughs> it'd be really cool to have a dog fighting game with those characters in that world mm-hmm. i agree really looking forward to that and yeah. you know i if it has to be using the the gamepad for some functions that's fine um, but i i don't have a i have a feeling it's not going to be core to the entire experience yeah, yeah, yeah. i i i don't think we're going to get a repeat of the having to use a touchscreen for bower rolls and stuff yeah. like that i think um whatever nintendo's been doing with the wii u they're experimenting with the gamepad a little bit but i don't feel like they're completely breaking controls on on things they're doing. Mm-hmm. None of their experiments have really felt like they've moved so far away from just the core joy of playing a, a game with uh, st- you know traditional controls. Yeah. yeah, and I would argue that I don't think they will publish a game where, and maybe I'm wrong, so someone correct me, but I don't think they'll publish a game where you don't use, uh, where the gamepad isn't available for off-TV play. Yeah. So far, mm-hmm. I think every Nintendo first-party published game, maybe the exception actually is, is Warrior, Lego yeah. City, uh, Lego City, you can't. Yeah, you can't play that in off TV play, right? Yeah, and WarioWare, but uh, but because that's sort of like hinges on a yeah. lot of those games hinges on. Yeah, that. maybe those are two examples to counter yeah. what I just said. But I, I have a strong feeling they want to still take advantage of off TV play. Yeah, that is one of the. F- all, you know, all that benefits. being said, I mean, this, I don't. I don't feel like we were supposed to see this game yet. Uh, mm-hmm. It's early. It's the earliest well, I think we've ever. Games, it's, but it's so cool because yeah. it's, it's it's kind of the earliest we've ever seen one of their games. The graphics look like. Star Fox 64 HD. Like and not Star <laughs> not Fox kidding. not Star Fox 64 th- 3DS HD. Yeah. Star Fox 64 HD. Like this uh, looked like an N64. There were, there were game. no bump maps on those textures. No bump man. maps there was like, nothing. and it it's weird the, the helicopter is just funny and wonky mm-hmm. and this yeah. it's a concept, right? Yeah. It's a gameplay concept. Yeah, yeah. and that, and that's one of the fascinating ways um, that we keep hearing Nintendo sort of makes games where like the early concept for the cat suit in Super Mario 3D World was just the characters themselves walking around on all fours. And they uh-huh. never had the idea for cats until later. The the problem they had was, okay, how do we make moving around in a 3D environment easier? This walking on all fours thing is kind of cool. If we haven't stick to surfaces, that's kind of cool. All right, this all makes sense. Then someone says cats when they're like, Eureka! That's it! We got it! Um, and I find that kind of game development fascinating because you, you look at the flip side of, of the way some other studios make games and they define all these concepts out like on document, on paper. Yeah. And they don't do the sort of the prototype thing. That's why I do agree that like we saw that Star Fox way too early, but 
I kind of like seeing it that early just because I know that's how they make games and I kind of appreciate that for the most part. I yeah. just hope that the final product will be something that we're all going to be excited for. And the, the same is true of Splatoon, right? Where like the squids come after the concept. It's yeah. not like they're not sitting down like uh, game designers in the in the late 80s and 90s when they're like, get this, it's a vampire bat. <laughs> and, you know, what? what's it do? Well, stuff. Yeah. You know, and then they design <laughs> the game around it. Where it's driven by the marketing team first and, you know, Air, yeah. Air, Air the acrobat, yeah, Bubsy, yeah. The all that junk. yarn squirrel. You can tell it was just Croc, a bad. It was whatever. a bad design that they put across a couple of yep. like uh, salespeople's tables, and yeah. they're like, "Oh, cool, we got a hit here." Yep. And yeah, Nintendo doesn't work like that, which yeah. is really cool. Perception sure. being Jumping Flash, which was a great game. Yeah, and then they added a robot rabbit to it. <laughs> Well, Which makes sense, right? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Well, we have reached the end of our journey through the stars, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for listening to the Nintendo Voice Chat. As always, uh, make sure, please, that you visit IGN and check out all of our articles, features. We have other podcasts for you to consume as well. Um, and as a whole, we also need your help. Make sure that you leave us a review on iTunes if you haven't already. Let us know what you think of the show and how we're doing. And by the way, happy Independence Day if you are a U.S. listener. Uh, the 4th of July is this weekend, and we hope that you have a great time. Make sure to watch the movie Independence Day and then play the uh, and then play Star Fox. level in Star Yeah, Fox. then yeah, play Star go. Fox. No, that's a really good uh-huh. idea. All right, so really quickly, Twitter handles. You can find Pear Schneider at? Pear IGN. You can find Brian Altano at? Agent Bizzle. And you can find myself, Jose underscore Otero on Twitter. Thank you very much for listening, and do a barrel roll. Press C or R twice! (laughs) While you celebrate Independence Day this weekend. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.